I've picked out a few psalms to look at. Today I want to look at Psalm 22. Um, this psalm is almost uniquely Jesus' psalm. <laughs> and I'll show you why. It's either quoted or alluded to. <laughs> uh, I don't know if there's any other psalm that is uh, cited as often or referred to as often as Psalm 22 is. Um, this is just almost uniquely Jesus' psalm. Uh, it's a psalm of David, as you would see from... Well, I didn't get them all on there. Uh, it's a psalm of David, as you see from the heading of the psalm. So, for the choir director, according to the Deer of the Dawn, a Davidic psalm. The Deer, the deer of the Dawn, who knows what that means exactly. It might be a, a song tune that they used to sing. Um, but who knows? But it's a Davidic psalm. Uh, we talked about last week the probability that these uh, headings, so-called, are actually part of the psalm, uh, part of the original psalm. Um, uh, so, uh, so this is one of 77 psalms that's attributed to David. David is giving us his own experience, but I want to set it in a particular uh, framework so that we can talk about this. <clears throat> we have, uh, for the life of David, we have First and Second Samuel and a little bit of First Kings, and we have First Chronicles. For a man who, according to the scriptures, reigned for 40 years. Um, as, a, as a matter of averages, figures don't lie, but liars figure. So as a matter of averages, each book of the Bible would average about an hour, just slightly over an hour to read. So I have First and Second Samuel, a little tiny bit of First Kings. First Chronicles for the life of David. I got three hours of reading for a 40-year ministry, 40-year reign, and that doesn't count his life running away from King Saul, which um, my historian colleague uh, says probably about a 10-year period. So running from Saul for 10 years. And, and before that, he's already a major leader in David's army. Yes? So he's got to be 2025 when he starts his, uh, his uh, outlaw years and then uh, 40 years on the throne. So we have about three hours reading for the whole life of David. So when did this, when did this event, when did this psalm get written? What was the event that generated it? I don't know. It could be from a time uh, when David is running from King Saul. It could be from a time when he's still at home with his parents. Uh, look at Psalm 27 just a moment. There's, a, there's an odd verse in Psalm 27. Uh, I, I don't know how this, how this Bible reads on that. Um, 
Uh, let's see, where is the verse? Ah, verse 10. My, my text reads, Even if my father and mother re- uh, abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Uh, that's, a, that's a reasonable translation. There, there's another um, reasonable translation, and it, would, and it is, Assuredly, my father and mother have abandoned me. <coughs> well, you remember when he was an outlaw, he went to, Mo- to Moab. Do you recall this? He went to Moab and asked that his parents be uh, allowed to live there under the protection of the Moabite king. His grandmother, back two, three generations, was Ruth, who was from Moab. Yes? So maybe that was a reasonable place to go. But how did they feel toward David? Well, when, king, when Samuel came to Bethlehem to anoint David as king, do you remember the story? Yes? He, it, everybody's terrified because the prophets come. What's going on? And so he says, no, I'm coming to make sacrifice. It's okay. I'm not going to sacrifice you. I'm just going to sacrifice the animal here. Uh, and so he tells Jesse, get your, get your family together. And he goes man by man from Amidadab down to the youngest of the boys that's, that Jesse had. And the Lord said, none of these. I haven't picked any of them to be king. And, Sam, and uh, Samuel says, have you brought all your sons? Well, there's the youngest. <laughs> What's that say about Jesse's attitude toward David? <laughs> yeah. He's the caboose. He's, it may be worse. It may be from Psalm 27.10. It may be that they really couldn't, they didn't have much regard for him. When Jesse sent David down to take food to the brothers, his oldest brother says, I know why you've come here. You've come here to, to, to look at the battle. I know your evil heart. There's hard, hard feelings in the family. Are you with me here? Is it during that period when David writes Psalm 22? I don't know, and nobody knows. And to create a history for it is probably unsound. But we know some things from the psalm. Things are so bad in his life that they think they're treating him as if he's already dead. One of the commentaries says he's sick. The text doesn't say that he's ill, but something has happened such that he looks like death is the next step in his life, and they're treating him like he's already dead. Are you with me here? Um. And what makes matters worse is God won't, God won't respond to him. See, that's, that's the worst of his hardships. Um, so all I know about the setting of the psalm is what I've just told you. I don't know whether he's king. I don't know whether he's in that period running from Saul. I don't know whether it's in early days of his life. Note Psalm 23, the shepherd psalm. Um, would would make sense as a young boy writing poetry in the in the desert. Do you follow? As he's as he's chasing the sheep, it's possible, but it could be any time in his life. I don't know, but I do know this: the biggest problem he has is not if he is ill, is not his illness. 
the biggest problem that he has is not the human enemies. The biggest problem he has is that God appears to abandon him. Um, and he doesn't understand it. So the psalm breaks it's a psalm of suffering and hope. Uh, that word, that expression hope, is important in light of verse 22 and following. But at the end of verse 21, as we'll see, uh, there is a special note here. We've got some problems in the interpretation of the psalm. Different translations go in different directions on this, and so it'll be a little bit um, somewhat speculative, but I don't think it's as speculative as most people have argued that it is. So what are we dealing with here? Verses 1 and 2, a bitter, hopeless outcry. This is a lament psalm, and lament psalms, petitionary psalms, key to a lament psalm is the petition. The whole point of a lament psalm is, is it's a prayer to God asking him for help, whatever the nature of that help will be. So in a lament psalm, every time you find one, you will have in the first line, O God, or O Lord. So how does this begin? Yeah, we read this so nicely. My God, my God, why have you... My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance? From the words of my groaning. My God. <clears throat> I cry by day. But you do not answer. By night. Yet I have no rest. That, that word. I cry to you by day. And there is no answer. Yes. God is saying neither. No nor wait. He's just saying nothing. Are you with me here? Uh, and no or wait are not answers. The only answer is, yes, I will help. Go study this, brothers and sisters. I've said to this to you on more than one occasion. Uh, go look at the Bible. <laughs> Read the Bible. It sheds enormous light on the commentaries. Uh, go, get your concordance and look up the word answer. Go to the book of Psalms. Look at all of its places when God answers, he grants the request. When he has not granted the request, he has not answered. Are you with me here? So, for God to say no is for him not to answer. He responds, but he's, that's no answer. The point of an answer is that God grants the request. But look at him, what he says. Why does he say, my God, my God? And I've stressed that in reading it. Why have you abandoned me? And the answer is in verses 3 and 4. Um, so verses 3 to 10 actually start the lament. Uh, commentaries say, oh no, this is, a, this is confidence. No, it's not. It's throwing in God's face his own actions. So verse 3. But you are holy. Enthroned on the phrases, uh, praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you answered them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you. They were not disgraced. But I am a worm and no man. Do you see? This is not confidence. 
It's telling God, look, you're not acting according to all that you have done in all the history of Israel. The whole history of Israel says that you can be trusted. And when people trust you, you respond to them. You take them out of, out of terrible trouble. But you're not doing that for me. Where are you? So the first reason David can call him my God is God's work in the history of Israel. And folks, you and I have God's work in the history of Israel, God's work in the history of the church. Yes? God's work in the history of this church. Are you with me here? Yes or no? And all of that should teach us that God is trustworthy. But this psalm is saying, in all that I know of your trustworthiness, you're not being trustworthy to me. That hurts, doesn't it? Hurts to say. Hurts to even hear, doesn't it? Well, let me say something about God. It's important. We've said it before, but it's important that you hear this. Um, God, for his own right and good purposes, fair, loving, and just, merciful, kind purposes, can act like he is completely absent and expect us to trust him anyway. I think he's got something else in mind. Um, we'll see it as we go. Yes? In those times when you're really struggling, the thing that hurts the most is that it seems like God is far away. Uh-huh. That you have to be really authentic. Yes. The authenticity may seem hard. It may yes. seem harsh. But God knows when you fall. Right. And so praying whatever the, the misery is. Yes. Um, some, see, I have a doctorate from Dallas Seminary, and I, I know great and wise things that most people don't know. So, no, no, you're, no, you're right. No, you're right. I'm going to support you. No, I'm going to support you very well. But, but see, you have to have a doctorate from Dallas Seminary to understand this. See? So, what, what book? <laughs> no, you're not going to be totally embarrassed at all. You're going to be vindicated. <laughs> what book is Psalm 22 in? Psalms. What? Fourth twenty-three. Good. <laughs> Excellent. You're on your way to getting a doctorate. <laughs> How did the? They are. How did Psalms get into the Bible? So, so David, David's king, and he said, I'm going to put a book in the Bible. I'm going to write Psalms and put it in the Bible. How did the, what, what is the ultimate agency that put the book of Psalms in the Bible? The Holy Spirit inspired David to write this psalm this way. This is God-inspired prayer in the midst of trouble. God, God see, I, want, I told you, you were going to be vindicated. <laughs> the, God is... If I may use figures of speech, he's got huge shoulders. He can bear all of our pain. 
And when we're in pain, uh, my favorite professor told about a woman who had come to church one Sunday morning and she was carrying on about how hard her life was. And her pastor said, now, sister, you ought not to carry on so. And she said, but pastor, when the Lord sends us tribulation, he intends us to tribulate, doesn't he? <laughs> so <laughs> David, is, David is in tribulation and he's tribulating. Are you with me? He, he's not... Oh, we're just trusting Jesus. And then goes home and is angry and upset. Are you with me here? Verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by men. Despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. And then they throw his own words back at his, in his face. He relies on the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him since he takes pleasure in him. Yeah. This is why I say this is Jesus' psalm peculiarly. (laughs) This is Jesus on the cross. What's amazing is not just what Jesus said on the cross. It's what the enemies of Jesus said at the cross. (laughs) I wonder if they knew what they were saying. I just... Verse 9, it's not only Israel's history that causes him to think there's something wrong with God. It's his own background. Verse 9, you took me from the womb. Cassie, (laughs) you took me from the womb, making me secure while at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Did David in the womb go seeking God? No. So how is it? How is it that David can say, You have been my God from my mother's womb? What's the point? God began working with him before he was even born. So all of his experience, what is David's experience? I fought the lion, I fought the bear, and God handed them into my hands. He will give me this uncircumcised Philistine too. This is what we've been saying over the years. What God has done in the past is a model and a promise of what he will do in the future. But he's too creative to do the same thing the same way twice. God had delivered David from the earliest days all the way through to this moment when he is penning this psalm. So every bit of David's experience of God has been, God is trustworthy. But not now. So I return to the lament, verses 9 and 10, I'm sorry, verse 12. Sorry, I didn't put that up there. Um, There's hope in Israel's uh, uh, history. Um, Though there are taunts. I don't know why I put that there. David's hopeless present and hope from his own experience. Hope, Hope in the midst of despair often deepens the despair. Everything that I have known of your, of your activity in my life, everything I have known 
has told me that you're not like this. Why are you doing this now? I do not understand you. One of the, one of the most brilliant insights any human ever has is, I don't understand God. <laughs> and we're safest when we realize that, finally. So we move on. Verse 11, 11 to 21, his painful petition. So verse 11, do not be far from me. Now, Brother David, our God is never far from any one of us. Amen? Amen? In him we live and move and have our being. Amen? (laughs) But he can so hide himself that we can't find him. I don't like that. I don't want that. If I could be certain of the intimate presence of God in my conscious experience, then I think I could face almost anything. But God, in part, Linda, back to your question, uh, in part, God, though, leads us out beyond our understanding of him so that, so that we learn to trust him even when we can't find him. What does trust look when you can't find, look like? What does it look like when you can't find God? It looks like Psalm 22. It doesn't seem very bad. Even though he's, he's lamenting, obviously, but it seems like he's, he still obviously loves God. Yeah. And he depends on him. Uh-huh. He's never turned against him. But what do you do when God doesn't... Waiting, yeah. What do you do when God doesn't look dependable? Scary. Yeah. Folks, I, I don't know that God is sufficient for poverty unless I've been to poverty with him. And in the midst of poverty, I can learn what, what the Bible consistently says, that the presence of God is better than gold and silver. Am I making sense to you? I won't know that God is sufficient for weakness until I've gone to the depths of weakness with him. I can't. Because as long as I feel strong, oh, I trust Jesus. Amen, Jesus, and may we be buds. That's good. Buddies now. God plus one is a majority. No, God's a majority all by himself. (laughs) And he doesn't need the plus one. I won't know that he's great enough for disaster until I go to disaster with him. And the greater the disaster, the greater the revelation of the goodness of God and the greatness of God and the power of God and the sufficiency of God when he steps in and remedies the situation. David, I'm sorry, you had your hand up a minute ago. I think he wrote this as he looks back. I I don't think so, and I'll show you why in a a few minutes. I think there's something else going on. one question. Okay. I, I heard the sound, but I didn't know where it was coming from. <laughs> I, uh, after her experience, that lady's experience, I was afraid. Right. <laughs> 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 I, I've only been here 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, uh, yes, it's, and 
his in his uh, turmoil and his uh, uh, stress, I would it be okay to think that well maybe since you've known God, I hate to say to trust in the wisdom, the resources that He's given us in the past to appeal to that and say instead of getting worse in their situation. So maybe God says, look, you've been here before. Do it. Do what you need to do. But That's easy for us to say when we're looking up back on David's experience. Yeah. It's hard to say when you're in the experience. Yeah. Um, uh, folks, uh, Psalm 103. So in Psalm 103, um, the psalmist, who is that? Is that David? I don't remember. Um, oh, if my fingers would only work. It is David's. In Psalm 103, he says, uh, uh, verse, nine, uh, verse uh, 13 and 14, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of. Why does he know that? How does he know that? The word that's translated, he knows what we are made of, what we are made of, is in King James as he knows our frame. Uh, it's, a, it's a noun taken from a verb that's used in Genesis chapter 2 for God forming the man out of the dust of the earth. It's a potter's term. He knows how we are molded, if you will. So because he remembers that we are dust, dust in Scripture is not so much dirty. This is, they had no air conditioning. <laughs> so dust is not necessarily dirty. Dust is weak. Remember uh, Daniel's uh, image in the vision and the legs, the, the, the extremities were made out of iron mixed with clay. <laughs> Folks, you've never seen anything made iron mixed with clay. What, what would happen if you mixed, tried to make a, a statue, 90-foot-tall statue? It would fall. It would crumble. It would collapse uh, because the clay, and even fired clay, is too brittle. It can't hold up to the weight, yes? And it would collapse. Well, we're made out of the same stuff. God made us to be weak. He gave the, um, the, the monkey agility and strength, yes? Gave the lion strength. Gave the, the uh, leopard, what, what, a jaguar. Gave the jaguar speed, yes? Gave the elephant massive strength, yes? To us, he, made, he gave weakness so that we would always have to trust in him. Let's go back to Psalm 22. So beginning, this is a petition and lament. Do not be far from me because distress is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They had bullfighting in ancient Canaan and the, 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 the fiercest bulls for the ring were from Bashan. They opened their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water. All my bones are disjointed. 
he's not describing his physical condition. He's describing his pain. I've never had a bone out of joint. I can't imagine what, what it would mean to have a, a bone out of joint. But what if, what if that's your experience all over your body? Um, my heart is like wax. When, when God, we, we translated hardened Pharaoh's heart, Hebrews says he strengthened it. That is, gave him more courage to do what he wanted to do. Um, David has no courage. His heart is melting like wax. Verse, I can't see the numbers here, 15. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. Now he tells us what the bulls of Bashan are and what the dogs are that surround him. A band of evildoers, a gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and feet. That they pierced my hands and feet is difficult. Nobody knows exactly what that means. Um, best I can do is probably this translation that's here. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves. They cast lots for my clothing. He's as good as dead. Let's start distributing what he's got. But you, Lord, don't be far away. Oh, my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword. My only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the mouth of the lion. I'm inclined to read this a little differently. I'm reading the Holman Christian Standard Bible this morning. I'm inclined to read this just a little differently in order to get the point. The last word in the verse is the, is the second verb in the verse in Hebrew. So let me read it that way. Um, Save me from the mouth of the lion, from the horns of the wild uh, oxen. You have answered me. Uh, the NASV says, you answer me. Uh, that's a simple present tense in English. Simple present talks about general truths, but not necessarily what's happening at this instant. Are you with me here? In the evening, the sun goes down, goes down, simple present, goes down below the horizon. Yes? All right? Goes down. Is it right now going down below the horizon? At this moment, no. So I'm stating a truth, not necessarily one that's happening right now. Uh, some of the translations, NIV, for example, reads this as a as a petition: "Answer me from the hordes of the wild oxen." From the hordes of the wild oxen, I think what it means. You would ask, wouldn't you? <laughs> my, my, my stepfather was, an, academic, was a, an assistant academic dean, and he said when the accrediting agency comes, they're going to look at the records, and invariably they will pull the one file out of massive file cabinets that has the problem in it. <laughs> Why did you pick that one? <laughs> and you picked the one thing. I don't, I'm not sure. I think what it means... Um, I'm on the horns of the wild ox and deliver me from it. It would be the point. But <laughs> this word answer occurs hundreds of times in the Hebrew Bible, as you might imagine. 
Um, only 20, uh, that's not a fair statement, I'm, I'm mixing apples and oranges. This form occurs thousands of times in the Hebrew Bible, and only 20 times is it translated as a petition. Most of the time it's a statement of fact, either um, a past action or a present action or potentially a future action, but it's a statement of fact. The problem with Psalm 22 is that verses 1 to 21 are so gloomy and dismal, and verses 22 to 31 are so happy and joyful. So how can you account for that? Some commentary, there are two commentaries that I know of that actually have separate commentaries on 22a and 22b because as Westerners we know, amen, we are wise. Uh, uh, I have accredited you and you have accredited me. We are therefore wise. Amen? In our own eyes. Uh, that these could not be the same psalm. They have to be two separate psalms. They do that with Psalm 19 as well. The two parts of Psalm 19 make no sense together. We know we are Westerners. But there might be something going on. That word at the end of verse 21 probably indicates the reason why you go from despair to nothing but sheer joy in the rest of the psalm. There are, there are a few psalms, lament psalms, there are 66 of them in the Hebrew Bible. Um, there are a few. In the middle of the petition, God comes and gives the answer. They're called, these, are, these are called closed laments because the loop has been closed. We cry to God, he answers and gives what you're asking for. You follow this? The others are called open laments. This is a closed lament. God has given the answer. One of my students said, how how did that happen? Oh, come on. Number one, there are prophets. Amen? Can you name any prophets? I can't. I'm hearing sounds, but no words. Ezekiel, Daniel. How about David? Is David also a prophet? Yes. Secondly, being king, he he is a he is an appointee by God. Assuming that he's king, as he writes this psalm, he's appointed by God, and God has a direct relationship with him. Number three, high priests can speak the word of God. So, I quit worrying about how. Look, folks, when you're dealing with God, quit worrying about how. Amen? Just, just okay, God did it. It's, are you with me? So, God answered him. Is he out of the trouble as far as the psalm is concerned? No. He's still in the trouble. But hear how he responds to the trouble. Let's go on here. Um. So that 21B is very important here. Um, See how he responds to the, uh, oh, here, I'm going to pass that by. Um, The rest of the psalm is a vow of praise. Here's what I'm going to do. When you're in trouble and you uh, plead with God for deliverance in Israel, you often will make a vow of praise. You're not negotiating with God. You're not trying to buy him off. What you're trying to say is, look, God, when you have done this deed of salvation, I will respond righteously. I'm going to respond appropriately. 
here. And the appropriate response is never to say, thank you, Jesus, amen, and then go your way. The the right response, the prite and ropper response is is to get people together, throw a party, and tell them what God has done. So verse 22, I will proclaim your name to my brothers. In the midst of the, of, of the ascent congregation, I will praise you. Who's he going to get together? Nobody likes him. <laughs> well, they will when God has acted. All, all of them are going to be rushing. Well, I was on your side all along. I... <laughs> so, so who's he going to get together? Who is this congregation? Yes, ma'am. Get together people who don't know God and people who may not have theology. Yeah. Well, but who is the congregation? The offspring of Jacob. Yeah. Good. He's going to gather as many of Israel as he can get. So verse uh, 22, verse 23 now. You who fear Yahweh, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. This is what he's going to say to them. Um, All you descendants of Israel, revere him, for he has not despised or detested. The torment of the afflicted, he did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried out to him for help. He listened when he, what does that mean? He listened. Yeah? What is it, how to put that in the context of the word answer? What does it mean? He gave him what he asked for. Yes? Are you with me here? I will praise I will give praise in the great congregation because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat. Humble is, you know, well, I'm just not that great. That's to us what humble is. I'm talking about people who are of the lowest possible degree in the culture of Israel. Afflicted, yeah. They're, they're people who are at the bottom of the, of the totem pole or of the ladder. Asking petitioning God to draw to come to Him is is that mm-hmm. a fair? Yeah, and to grant Him release. Yeah, from yeah the burden. That's right. That he was carrying not just the burden, but from the affliction itself. Yeah. In this okay. case, okay. how could David pray that way, folks? Do you know anything about Davidic covenants? Do you, do you know anything about that? Huh? Do you? Right. Davidic covenant. First Samuel. Second Samuel seven. 2 Samuel 7, 1 Chronicles 17, uh, Psalm 2, Psalm 89, number of other places. The Davidic covenant promises David a house that will endure forever. And if he dies, what's going to happen? God is central in the plan. I'm sorry, David is central in the plan of God for the future of Israel and for the future of the world. Forever. And if that's the case... He knows God has to come back. First of all, all history in Israel says God does that. Secondly, all of David's past experience says that God does that. His present experience calls it into question. But now he realizes God God is going to answer. God has told him, I'm going to grant you your request. See, I I can't ask for deliverance from trouble because I have a Davidic covenant, a James covenant with with uh, the Lord. I don't have that. What I can ask for is that God will show up 
and meet me when I am in particular circumstances. And we'll talk about that shortly. Uh, does this apply at all to Jesus? Well, Jesus is even more central to the plan of God than David is. Yes? Oh, yeah, that's what I say. This is Jesus' peculiar psalm. So, I will give praise in the great congregation because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The, the afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Why? Because he's going to make a peace offering. Um, turn just a moment to, to 1 Kings 8. I want you to see a peace offering that's a celebration of the uh, Davidic covenant or from the Davidic covenant, 1 Kings 8. Uh, verse 62. 1 <laughs> Kings eight sixty-two. This is in the fall of the year when the Feast of Tabernacles is celebrated. And there's a two-week period that, that includes the seven days of dedication for the temple that has just fin- has been completed in its construction and seven days for the Feast of Tabernacles. So, verse 62, the king and all Israel with him were offering sacrifices in the Lord's presence. Solomon alone, just Solomon, these are the sacrifices he brought. Every time you go to the tabernacle or temple, you must bring a sacrifice so all these other folks have too. But this is just what Solomon offered. Um, um, Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offerings this peace offering that we mentioned, that's going to be a, a feast, 22,000 cattle, 120,000 sheep. In this manner, the king and all Israelites dedicated the Lord's temple. On the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the courtyard that was in front of the Lord's temple because that was where he offered the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the fat, offer, fat of the fellowship offerings since the bronze altar before the Lord was too small to accommodate the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat. So, are you with me here? When you're really rejoicing, you give a big, big party. And, and since it is a thank offering, it has to be eaten overnight. It, yeah, if, if any is left to the next morning, it's invalid, it has to be made over. So they're chowing down. So... Back to Psalm 22, verse 27. Who else will be involved? Who else will be invited? All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. They're going to hear about this. Folks, we're part of that today. We're hearing of God's deliverance in the life of David and God's deliverance in the life of Jesus. And we are gathered as part of the ends of the earth. I want you to remember, you come to Earth's End before you get to Texas. <laughs> yes, that wasn't a slam at, at Rick, although if I'd thought about it, I would have used it that way. <laughs> it's just to say that you can't get there from here by walking. Yes? All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the kingship belongs to the Lord. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his own life. Who's that? Huh? Yeah? 
But in the psalm, who is this? The one who can't preserve his own life. It's David. The king himself will bow down before the king, the Lord. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told all about the Lord, brothers and sisters. I'm a testimony of this. My great-grandfather was the wildest man in Seneca, Missouri. <laughs> Packed a pistol, had bar fights, drank and danced and, and, uh, and gambled. Then he met Louisa May. Uh, Louisa, what was her name? Um, Mary, Mary Louisa uh, Bonner. And she led him to the Lord. None of his children knew about his early life, not one of them. My great-grandmother told my mother and me one day while we were visiting her many years after her, 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 her husband had died. And she said, when he came to the Lord, he said, she said, he became a straight arrow, lived for the Lord, participated in founding two churches. <laughs> Are you with me here? <laughs> so the, the, next, the next generation will be told about the Lord. And so I have that generation and the next generation, my mother's generation, and now I have told my children, and that godly heritage is continuing. The history of David's thanksgiving is going on. Are you with me? They will come and tell a people yet to be born, that's us, about his righteousness, what he has done. Just a couple more slides and we're done. What's, what's the relationship to Jesus? Well, the relationship to Jesus is, is everything in the psalm. <laughs> you know. If I may say to David, now, Brother David, the Lord has not abandoned you. We do not talk that way about Jesus. Amen? We don't, we don't say things like that about our God. Amen? Don't you, haven't you seen the footprints in the sand? That's that, that, that see, when you can't see your footprints. Those footprints, it's because he's carrying you. Amen. That's, that's, just, that's just painful to the person who's sad and distraught of heart. It doesn't help. It helps a minute maybe, but I still want God to step in and do something. You don't feel like you're being carried. Don't feel like I'm being carried. I feel like I'm trudging through that wet sand. So what's it got to do with Jesus? Everything. Because if David was not abandoned, Jesus was. And if, if, if David was one whom God made to trust in him from his mother's womb, all the more Jesus. And if David was one who had a covenant with God, all the more Jesus. And if David is one who thought that God should answer him, how much more Jesus but the difference is Jesus had to go to God forsakenness so that we could be the recipients of this message. Are you with me here? So what does this mean for you and me? Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Let's turn there. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We've talked about it before in different settings. But I want to talk to you about it in the light of Psalm 22. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. What you need to know is that in Hebrew, the word narrow is one of the more common words for trouble. 
Yeah, enter by the trouble gate. For broad is the gate, and by the way, when a psalmist asks for deliverance, sometimes he will ask, bring me out into a wide place. Do you remember that kind of language? For the, the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And many there are who find it. The broad and, and, and easy gate looks like the way that ought to lead to life. It's what the Old Testament taught deliverance looks like coming out into a broad place. But in fact, that leads to destruction. So how do we get to life? How narrow is the gate? How restricted is the way that leads to life? It's the way that Jesus goes to the kingdom. It's the way that Jesus goes to glory. It's the way that Jesus goes to life. But it's the way of death. Um, So when David will pray in the very next psalm, Psalm 23... Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Yes? Uh, More martyrs, I'm told, in the 20th century than all of the centuries put together before. For the name of Jesus. Um, They all walked the, they entered the narrow gate and walked the way that looked like it was leading to death. This is the strange thing about the work of Jesus. It's not in strength that we triumph, it's in weakness. It's not in life that we triumph, it's in death. It's not in power, not in wealth, not in wisdom that we triumph. We triumph in the foolishness of of, of of the cross. Are you with me here? Psalm 22 then becomes our Psalm 2. Because we're going to walk that way. In one way or another, we're going to walk that way. You can't follow the man of Calvary without walking in his path. And his path is a narrow gate and a restricted way. Looks like it's going to get you killed. Looks like every hope, every dream that you've ever had is gone. What we have to learn, brothers and sisters, is simple. I do have to go through the, the death of my dreams because my dreams are pretty much things about me. What I have to do is adopt as my dreams, my hopes, my longings, the plan of God. And death cannot stop the plan of God, can't change it. In fact, death accomplishes it. We're set free. Yeah. So now, folks, Matthew 7, 13, and 14, enter by the narrow gate. Let's close with prayer. Yes, sir. Okay, what's his name? Okay, all right. Is it Ryan? It's not Ryan. Okay. I I don't know his name. All right. Father, uh, even now we're confronted by the um, deep needs of life. Some of us more directly, some of us less directly, but all of us are are, are faced by the, 
the greatest needs, the issues of life, emergencies and, and dreaded things. We walk this path because it's the path Jesus led. Uh, his mother was brokenhearted at the cross. And in your marvelous grace and compassion, you had enormous mercy for her, supporting her in those hours um, on till Sunday. Um, the time of our resurrection is delayed substantially. But we're given so much evidence of it that we trust in that day. We trust that whether our path leads specifically to or through death, or whether it's those whom we love, we trust that your hand is with us. Can't always see why, but we have the example of David and the example of Jesus to know that in such times you have not abandoned us. You are, in fact, carrying us, and it's not a bromide. It's not salve on a cancer. It's the real thing, your real presence. So in that, we take great hope. Teach us to lay hold of that at every moment. We pray for those in our fellowship who are facing profound needs and ask you to minister to them specifically. And Father, once again, we'd ask for Fred and Sarah's son that you would protect him and his life. We ask for David and and Molly, for Jonathan. Would you heal him? Father, once again, we plead with you. Would you heal him? Um, We don't know what's best, though. So we leave all these things in your hands with the confidence that you remain, even when we can't see it, you remain kind and benevolent and just and merciful and fair and reliable. We have no place else to turn. Most of us have tried other things, but there is no place else we can go. You alone have life. So we we come to you asking for the mercy and grace of being able to trust in you in such hard times as we've read about in Psalm 22. But with Easter coming up just two weeks from today, give us the joy of the resurrection even in the face of death. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.